We are in 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to the end of the chapter to verse 24. Um, and we are talking today about, we we'll continue our series on mere Christianity, and we're talking today about the call to love one another, uh, that we are called to love one another as we rest in God's love. And if you have been with us for this whole series, or most, most of the series, you're thinking, I, I, this sounds familiar. I think we heard a sermon already about love, didn't we, on this, Pastor Rick? Um, and that's because John repeats himself. Actually, most people would say the way he writes, he writes in cycles. So he'll talk about love, he'll talk about something else, talk about something else, then come back to love. And then something else, and then come back to another subject he's already dealt with. And the point is, um, we learn well by repetition. Uh, J- John is not trying to put together some theological treatise you know, to be studied in the academy. Uh, he's, a, he's a pastoral figure. This is the Apostle John, the same one who knew Jesus for his three-year ministry. Uh, he's an older man right now. He's probably in exile uh, in Ephesus, and he's writing to the churches there in Ephesus, and he cares about them, and he wants to make sure they get this. Uh, love one another. My hope is in your lifetime, uh, depending how long you live, how long you've been a Christian, my hope is you hear a hundred sermons on love one another. Uh, This is a subject we should come back to again and again uh, and again. In fact, I hope, friends, that that is what I'm I'm seeking to teach you, to love one another. Um, I hope you don't walk away from a sermon and say, my, what a fine, fine public speaker Pastor Rick is. (laughs) That's not the goal. My, what a great, what a great theologian Pastor Rick. That's, That's not what I hope. I hope you walk away from a message having heard the word and feeling the joy of love, of joy of God's grace and the calling to love one another. That's why I preach. That's what I'm hoping for. As I said, this is a, a birthday coming up. I just got this this morning from a newer attendee. Sorry, Annette, I'm going to throw you right on in the spotlight here. So she made me this wonderful coffee cup. And what this is, is these are Bible verses that I've preached on since she started coming to this church. Now that is a gift for a pastor right there. So thank you so much. And, and by the way, there's a picture of my dad and I also on the front here. So, so thank you so much for that. But that's the goal. Are we loving one another as we rest in God's love? How do we do that? How do we enjoy the love of God and, his, and understand his grace and then seek to love one another? 1 John chapter 3, 11 through 24. We read this. It'll be on the screen as well. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life, Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, 
but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. It's an outline of your bulletin, as always. We're called to love one another as we rest in God's love, as we're going forward here, verses 11 to 15, we love one another rather than hate, rather than hate. Uh, we love one another tangibly, practically, like Jesus did, 16 to 18, and then love and be assured of God's love, 19 to 24. Our hearts don't need to condemn us, we can be sure of God's love. So 11 to 15, we're called to love one another rather than hate. Look what he says, this is the message you've heard from the beginning, uh, not just the beginning of his letter, the, the beginning of time, right from the Garden of Eden. We said that the calling, this is the whole, this is the heart of the law, to love your neighbor as yourself. But also from the beginning of the Christian life, we're called to love as Jesus did. Jesus said it's an old commandment, but it's also a new commandment I've given you, that as I have loved you, so you love one another. So from the beginning, beginning of time, also the beginning of the Christian life as we follow Jesus, same message, we should love one another. And of course, he, he juxtaposes that, verse 12, with hate. Don't be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Uh, so if you don't know who Cain is, most people know the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, the very first generation after Adam and Eve. That's all it took, one generation. Their kids, their first two kids, Cain and Abel, is where we have the first murder. That didn't take long. Uh, why did he murder him? As it says here, Cain, um, uh, because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. He was jealous. If you don't know the story, both of them offer sacrifices to the Lord. Uh, Cain was a farmer, and Abel was a shepherd. Cain offered up an offering from his farming. Nothing wrong with that. That's what he does for a living. It's not about the, what the actual offering was. In fact, grain offerings were acceptable to the Lord. Sometimes it's said because it wasn't a, a sacrifice of an animal, it doesn't count. No, that's not the problem. It's just that it wasn't his first fruits. Just kind of gave him the leftover. All right, God, here's some stuff. I'll just give that over to you. I don't need it. What did Abel do? Abel takes the best of his flock, the first of it, first fruits of his flock. He offers that to the Lord. And God, of course, looks with pleasure upon Abel's offering. And he doesn't look with pleasure upon Cain. And Cain knows this. He feels this. He senses this. And so what does he do? He gets jealous. <laughs> he gets angry at his brother. And he's harboring this hatred in his heart for some length of time. We don't know until he finds an opportunity where he sees his brother out in the field and he kills him. He murders him. God said, sin is crouching at the door of your heart, Cain. Its desire is to overcome you. You must overcome it. Instead, sin overcomes him. And in a moment, a flash of anger, he slays his brother. Why is he using Cain here as an example? Uh, he's using him, of course, as a negative example, what we're not supposed to do. I have a friend who says, I'm not completely useless. I can still be used as a bad example, right? That's Cain. Cain's not completely useless. He can be still be used now, even today, as a bad example. 
Do not be surprised, he says, verse 13, brothers, that the world hates you. The world is filled with hate. Where does that hate come from? Same place that it came for Cain. The world, in a sense, represents, Cain's, in a sense, represents the way of the world, even as Christians are, in a sense, able here. 14, we know that we have passed from out of death into life. Why? Because we love the brothers. Something's changed about us. We're not going the way of the world, the way of hate. There is love. By the reference here to the brothers, I do think he's talking about the church, your brothers and sisters in Christ. But of course, we know from the whole of the Bible, love never stops there. Uh, we love our neighbor, which is anyone that we come across. We're to love the lost in particular. Luke 15 and many other passages. And of course, Jesus pushes it and says, you even love your enemies. Those whom you would normally hate, you would call, you're called to love them as well. But how do we know we pass from death to life? That's a reference to salvation. See that in the Gospel of John are the words of Jesus as well. How do we know we're saved, that we belong to God? Because we love the brothers. It's evidence that God's Spirit's at work and that he has changed us. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And his point is not to say that murder is the unpardonable sin. Um, actually, you got two great examples of murderers who were saved. One is King David in the Old Testament, one of the most prominent figures of the Old Testament. Mur uh, David kills Uriah the Hittite by the hand of his enemies, and yet he's a man after God's own heart. He comes to repentance. He's restored. And of course, in the New Testament, you have the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the majority of the New Testament, who oversaw the murder of Stephen and breathed out murderous threats, it says, against the Christians. So maybe he's responsible for other murders as well and then he comes to repent. So the point is not that this is the unpardonable sin. The point is it's the clearest evidence <laughs> that someone's not a believer. I mean, if you know someone who says, yeah, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, and on the side, I'm a serial killer. I think you'd say there's something incoherent here, right? That's evidence that something's wrong. So he's saying, if you are filled with hate, in a sense, you are indeed a murderer, at least in your heart. But he's saying that hate is the way of the world. The world is a fallen place, it's a sinful place, a place that in general is, is anti-God. Uh, it's, it's in treachery against our king and our creator. That's the way of the world. Now, when you talk about hate, he's talking about hating people. You can't hate things, some things we're supposed to hate. You should hate sin. <laughs> you should hate evil. You, you should hate cancer. Uh, you should hate suffering. You should hate water chestnuts. Everybody hates water chestnuts, right? I mean, who likes water chestnuts? No, kidding. We don't hate people made in the image of God. We love people. The old saying, hate the sin, love the sinner. Some people have kind of attacked that and said, well, is that really biblical? I think it's actually pretty helpful. People made in the image of God are people we love. But their sin and what it's done to their lives is something we hate. The world, friends, is filled with hate. Now, that doesn't mean the world is as bad as it possibly can be. And it doesn't mean that all cultures and societies are equally bad. We should and can pursue a more compassionate, kind, loving world around us. And not all cultures are created equal. There are some that are more hateful and there's some that are less hateful and we should be salt and light in this world and try to make it a more loving place. Nothing wrong with that. And of course, hate is expressed in all different ways. Uh, there, there is hate that's expressed in cannibalism, 
for example, in some societies. Uh, I kill my, I don't love my neighbor, I kill and eat them. I mean, that's a pretty bad, that's a pretty hateful culture right there. I was watching a, a reporter uh, for one of the major cable networks. He was doing sort of a research and study of different world religions, and he was studying um, a, a small sect of Hinduism. And I want to be fair here, this didn't represent all of Hinduism, but a small sect of Hinduism uh, that was cannibalistic. And he was just sort of, sort of uh, get, trying to understand that, that sort of religion and that, that culture, and they gave him human brains to eat. And he took a bite. And I thought, I think that's going beyond research at that point in time, right? I think that's a little savage there. You're, you're, you're eating a human being. I think, so not all, all expressions of hate are the same. We don't have that here, thankfully. However, hate can be shown in all different ways. It can be shown in racism. A lack of compassion or care for others who are in need. Indifference to others. Friends, hate can be shown in all different ways and basis. That's the way of the world. What he's saying here is for those in Christ, you see something that's changed. You see a love that wasn't there before. So here's what I'd say, friends. We, we, first thing you should do is look at your own heart. Look at your own mind. You, you start to see that you're more loving than you, than you were. You think of yourself before Christ and now, that you, you, you find it easier maybe to love other people there's a there's a compassion towards other people that wasn't there before where does that come from it comes from god's grace it comes from his spirit's presence it doesn't come from you it comes from what god is doing in you and making you into a new person but I also say i think there is also a sort of an encouragement here to to root out hatred that still sort of remains in us as christians there's a warning against hatred, and I think that warning is telling us to look at our own hearts and see if there is still something there and seek to remove it, to burn away the impurities. You know, if you, if you, when you buy, a, when you have to inspect your, your vehicle, if you have an older vehicle, what do they say you got to do first? Take it on the highway, run it up and down the highway for a little bit, burn away all the impurities before you test the emissions. I think that's what God is doing in us. We still have some of those impurities remaining in us. And we're supposed to sort of look to root them out. Maybe, maybe in your own life you're struggling with a little bit of bitterness. Somebody hurt you in the past, said something nasty to you in the past, did something to you, and you know you're harboring that, that bitterness. You don't want to let it go. What he's saying here is recognize that's inconsistent with who you are. You're no longer under Cain. <laughs> you're no longer under the way of the world that's full of hate. You're called to live a life of love. This doesn't, this doesn't line up now with who I am in Christ. And you move on from it. Maybe there is a bit of prejudice or racism left in your heart. Maybe somebody from another race did something at one point and now you sort of lumped everyone in that group together. Maybe you have a sort of stereotype of a whole group of people because of skin color or ethnic background. God's calling you to root that out, to burn away those bad emissions. That's not who you are anymore. You're in Christ. You recognize all people created in the image of God in need of a Savior in Him. Maybe there are still bouts of anger, as Cain had for his brother. 
Think about that. A moment, a moment of anger for Cain turned him into a murderer. Friends, you still have these sort of issues with anger, these times where you just let it out and hurt other people around you, maybe a spouse, maybe your kids, maybe a neighbor. What is God calling us to do to recognize that's not me anymore? I'm not that guy. I'm not that lady anymore. I'm something new. I'm something different in Christ. He has made me new, and I'm called to follow him. And friends, let this always draw us back to the cross. We like to see ourselves in some ways as able, right? The one who's persecuted. (laughs) We're not able. Christ is able. We're Cain. And with our sin, we put him on the cross. We're the one who murdered the innocent with our sin. We remember that. We remember God's grace. And we walk in that grace going forward. Friends, we're called to live in love, not in hate. 16 to 18, we're called more than that. We're called to live to love tangibly, <laughs> tangibly, practically like Jesus. Look at verse 16. This is how we know love. He laid down his life for us. I, I, that's a pretty clear, practical way to love, to actually die for someone. Well, let's just imagine for a second, you are going to die this afternoon. I hope that's not true of anyone here. But let's say that's the reality. You're going to get hit by a car this afternoon. Your destiny is set, and somebody steps in, and gets in the way and dies for you so you get to continue the rest of your life. That's a pretty practical, tangible way of loving you, wouldn't you say? In fact, Jesus said there is no greater love than someone who lays down his life for his friends. But Christ did more than simply die so we can live out the rest of our 20, 30, 50 years in this life. He died to rescue us from our sin. He died so that we could be the fathers forever. So if that is how God has loved us in Christ, he says, then go and love others the same way. Be willing to, in a sense, lay down your lives for your brothers. How do we love tangibly? Look at 17. If anyone has the world's goods, and by the way, we pretty much all have the world's goods. (laughs) Remember that. If you're born in the United States in the 21st century, or 20th century, 21st century, some of you guys even 21st century, uh, you won the lottery already. You hit the jackpot, okay? You are part of the wealthiest country that has ever existed, not just in the world now, but in all of human history. So you already won. You already got the world's goods. Now what is he saying here? If you have the world's goods and you cease a brother in need and you close your heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? How can you close your heart to someone else in need if you've if you're been so blessed? by God. Verse 18, little children, again, he's writing pastorally. This is not a harsh rebuke against them. Little children, spiritually speaking, let us not love in word or talk. We talk a great game. Christians are called to love one another. I love everybody. No, no, no. But indeed and in truth. Put it to work. Put it to practice. But he's saying, if you want to see the ultimate example of love, Look at Jesus. <laughs> there is practical, tangible love. First of all, Jesus came into our world. Uh, would you do that? <laughs> uh, you're, you're in eternal glory. You're experiencing a sinless, perfect world filled with love, especially the love of the Father. Uh, you're surrounded by angels who adore you um, and that love you genuinely. 
Uh, you, you're in a world that is perfect. Would you come into our place? <laughs> Would you go from there to become human into our broken and fallen and hateful world? Uh, C.S. Lewis said, imagine what it would be like for you as a human being to become a slug, okay? And that's what it would be like for an eternal God to take on human flesh. But only that, he loves us enough to come into our world. He lives a, a, a sinless life, uh, lives a, a lowly life. Uh, most of his life, he was an itinerant preacher. He said, I have, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. There's no home. He's just sort of you know, going from place to place, preaching the word, helping the poor. All of his miracles, if you look at his miracles, what are they doing? They're done to glorify himself, yes, but glorify himself through helping those in need, to serving and loving other people. Eventually, he ends up on the cross. Now, he could have stopped that anytime he wanted to. Jesus said, he even said it himself, he said, if I wanted to at any moment, I could ask the Father, and he would send 12,000 legions, 12, 12 legions, 12 legions of angels at any point in time. A legion is, is a military term. It means 6,000 soldiers. Imagine, I, I'm, I'm going to guess that means emptying out heaven of all of its angels, right? Everything. At any point in time, the Father could, would empty heaven of all of its angels that would come to my defense and stop this at any point in time. Not that he would even need that. <laughs> he himself is the Son of God and could stop it at any moment. And he lays down his life to die for us. That's practical love. In three days he rises from the dead. What does he do? He turns to those who rejected him, who ran away, who denied that they even knew him. And he restores them. Friends, we're called to love practically not just in word, but in deed, as God has loved us. Friends, I hope we are doing that. I hope we're loving practically. There's a lot of ways to do that. Let's talk about some practical ways to love. One, uh, I would say, is to, to listen well to people, to be gentle, to be here and present, but also gentle with other people. One person said, this was a few years back, but they said, maybe we need to do some sensitivity training in the church. Because <laughs> we tend to not be always very sensitive to one another. Uh, we all have different personalities and all that, but to be gentle. To be gentle with one another. Recognizing everyone's coming from a different place. Some people are very sensitive. They come from, with different struggles. One way in which we practically love one another is to listen well and to be gentle. Another way we love is to be generous. Uh, to be generous. That's a very clear way he's saying if you see a brother in need, be generous. Um, if you're walking by someone in need, I know you have to kind of decide, does this, should I, is God calling me to just give this directly to the person or whatever it may be? And, and, and I'm going to let you sort of figure that out in your own conscience and in your own heart. Uh, I've heard someone say, look, if you feel convicted to give to someone, but you know that it may not be used the right way, take that $10 or whatever it is. And the next time you go home, immediately give that away to a charity that you do trust. I don't know. It's up to you and your own conscience what God is calling you to do. But I have never met someone who is not generous and full of love. Those two things always go together. And certainly, friends, you're giving to our church. We use it to the advance of the kingdom. We have our tithes, and now we also have a special offering as another opportunity to serve um, a brother and a sister and their kids in our church. As Abel gave his first fruits to the Lord, and that demonstrated that he was a person of love, and Cain did not sow our generosity. One way we love practically is by doing what 
most people aren't willing to do. I'll give you a few examples. Uh, we have people right now upstairs serving in our nursery. Uh, we meet 90 minutes a week together for corporate worship. Um, so that's it, 90 minutes in an entire week. And, and these are folks who say, I'm going to spend those 90 minutes not gathering to hear the word, not gathering to, to fellowship. I'm going to do it to serve my church family and play with the babies, which can be fun too, don't get me wrong. But nevertheless, I'm going to serve. And I think there are a lot of people who, who volunteer. I'm not going to mention them all because if I did, I would forget someone inevitably. But I want to thank Fawn in particular, who I think is probably, Bill, upstairs right now. Yeah, so she's upstairs right now uh, watching over our kids. She oversees the nursery ministry. That's why I mention her. Kid Town ministry is starting up pretty soon. Same idea, once a month, one week a month, you're willing to say, I'm going to give up my 90 minutes of worship and gathered worship here with my church, and I'm going to serve by watching over our kids. Another sort of very practical way, uh, after we have events, after we have, this is a common need in our church, a lot of people want to get home. Actually, everybody wants to get home. And those who stay to help clean up, sometimes even later into the night, a practical way of loving us those who serve meals at open hearts friends demonstrate a practical love and let me say this there is no more practical way to love someone than to pray for them because we believe in the power of prayer uh, to genuinely legitimately take time and pray for someone in need and then to share the gospel with someone who's never heard of christ to give up your own vacation time and to go to the streets of New York or wherever it may be, and to spend that time telling people about Jesus. Friends, what greater way to love someone than to be willing to do that? We love one another rather than hate, but we love one another tangibly like Jesus. We serve one another in ways in which we give up of ourselves to help others. 19 to 24, probably the most confusing interpretatively. There's a couple grammatical things with this passage that scholars even debate but let's not miss the main point in 19 to 24 love and be assured of god's love that's what he's getting at right look at 19 by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him if, if you want your heart to be assured <laughs> to be certain of god's love of your salvation in him this is how we do it this is how we know that we have of the truth and our hearts get assured he says verse 20 for whenever our hearts condemn us which happens all the time right we we struggle i don't feel so certain of god's love for me i don't feel so assured of it understand that god is greater than our heart uh, whether we feel saved one day doesn't make us any more saved than the day that we don't feel saved the question isn't is it's true whether it's whether we like it or not either we are in christ and saved in him um, or we're not how we feel about it is secondary god is greater than our heart he knows everything he knows the sincerity of our faith and trust in christ 21 beloved if our heart does not condemn us then what that's a good thing because we have confidence before god we have assurance before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. In other words, we, when we go to him in prayer, we go to him with that confidence that he hears us, that he loves us, that he answers prayer according to what is best for us. And how do we get this assurance? He explains it. We keep his commandments and do what pleases him. He explains it even more in 23. This is his commandment. Two things. We believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, 
and we love one another as he's commanded us. The reason why I think he adds that second one, by the way, before we get that, let me talk a little bit about assurance. What is assurance? Assurance is that you can be fully confident that God loves you, that you are saved, and that he hears you in prayer. Fully confident. So you say, well, isn't that pride? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not pride. Actually, it's, it's, being, it's resting in the love of God. In fact, this is, what he, this is what any good father wants, right? Like I said, I just dropped my son off at college. He's going to be two weeks in the north of uh, New York in the Adirondacks for this hiking thing that they start off with. And um, I want him to go knowing he's got a dad at home, mom and dad at home, that absolutely love him. And he can be confident in that love. Right? That's what any dad wants. You take your, your kid on an adventure. You take your kid on a kayaking trip, right? <laughs> he, he's sitting in front of you in that kayak. Um, I think I have a picture of this. And what do you want? You want him to say there, dad's got this under control. Dad loves me. He's not going to jump out of this kayak and swim to the shore and leave me by myself, right? You want this for your kids. So God wants this for us. He wants us to be confident in him. Not confident in ourselves, not confident that we're good enough and we're so great that he loves us, but confident in the fact that we have a father who cares for us and who absolutely loves us. He tells us there's two ways to do it. Uh, two ways which are really one and the same, or very sim- similarly related. Uh, this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his son. That's the first part. We put all our hope in Jesus. He's sufficient. He's enough. He's great enough. His act of sacrifice for us on the cross is finished And it's all it takes for our salvation. I can't add to it, and I won't take away from it. It's what Christ has done for me. I rest in that. And the second thing he says is to love one another. And here's why I think he adds that second one. When we go and take what we have in Christ, salvation in him, and we start to put it into practice. Second Peter talks about the same thing. We start to put it into practice, and we begin to see what God is doing in us and through us we began more and more confident that, yeah, of course I belong to God. There's, there's no way I could love this way without God, God first loving us, loving me, right? I, I can't naturally of my own flesh and sin, I know myself well enough, there's no way I can love people this well. So if I'm loving people this well, it's got to be grace. It's got to be God in me. So I think that's why he's saying those two things are what bring about assurance. A, conf- a, a looking at the sun and then practically seeking to love one another and seeing how God has transformed us. And this is what God wants for us, friends, to rest in that love. We looked at the, uh, this, we talked a bit about this, these mass shootings. Three of them happened really re- uh, recently. Two of them, of course, in the last week now, a little over a week now. Um, I learned a, a powerful statistic. You hear a lot about statistics. A lot of people want to fit into a certain narrative, but I think this statistic really tells us a lot. They did a study of the 27 worst mass shootings in the United States. 26 of them. They're all, they're all males, by the way. Just typical violent acts are usually committed by males. Just 26 of the 27 grew up without a father. That tells you something right there. Now, don't 
hear me wrongly. <laughs> I'm not saying that someone who grows up without a father is going to become a mass shooter. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying without the presence of a loving father who they can be assured of his love, something went wrong in these cases. 26th to 27. 27th, by the way, was radicalized, uh, even though he did have a father and ended up being pulled away in that way. This is what God wants for us as his children, as his sons and his daughters. God loves us, rest in that, and then do what? Love one another. Now take that love that he's given us, that God the Father has given us, and he is the father to the fathers, by the way. Take that love and then seek to love one another. Friends, we rest in God's love, and when we sense the fullness of that love for us, that's how we love best. We're called to love one another as we rest in God's love. We love one another rather than hate. Hate is the way of Cain. It's the way of the world. God has transformed us. He calls us to love. We're called to love one another practically, tangibly. It's not something in word only, in theory only. We're called to get down and dirty and smelly or do whatever it takes to love and to serve one another. And we love even as we are assured of God's love. When we see a lot of these major tragedies in the country and in the world, we want to do something about it. <laughs> we want to change it. How, how do we change the world, right? That's everyone's. How do we change the world? I want to change the world. I, I don't want to live. I, I, don't want, I don't want our kids to go to school and be be taught what happens when a shooter comes in. I don't want them to even have to learn that. <laughs> do you? I don't, I, how do we change the world? I like what Bill Bright said. I have the quote on the screen. Bill Bright was, by the way, the late Bill Bright. Bill Bright was the, well, the guy who started Campus Crusade for Christ, called, now called Crew, uh, one of the most widespread and, and effective ministries in college campuses around the world. Of course, he's with the Lord now. Here was his advice. The only way to change the world is to change individuals. Change people in sufficient numbers will produce change campuses, change communities, change cities, change states and nations. Yes, in a very real sense, a changed world. We come to grass and rest in the love of God for us that changes us so we learn to love one another. Would you pray with me? Well, gracious Father, thank you so much for your love for us. We pray that you would give us a, a deep confidence and sense of assurance of this love. And we know, Lord, that that many people struggle with that. I've had many conversations. And, and some people will struggle with that and doubt even to the day they pass on from this world and are still safe in Christ because our salvation is not based on the strength of our grip of you, but of your grip on us, which is solid and firm for those in Christ. But it's a gift that you want us to have. And we would pray, Father, that you would give us a deep sense a deep sense of your love for us. But when our hearts condemn us, and they do from time to time, help us to recognize 
clearly that God is greater than our hearts. Help us to recognize the command of God is to believe in the name of your Son, the one you have sent. And help us then, Lord, to take this great abundance of love you've given us and seek to love one another well. To love one another rather than hate. To love one another practically. To love one another as the overflow of your love for us. Thank you for our church, Lord. Thank you for giving us a church that loves one another. (laughs) And loves our neighbor. And loves the lost. And even loves our enemies. Help us to do so more and more as we depend on your grace. In Jesus we pray. Amen.